podcast with James and Jane. Hi, this is James. Just before we start, I wanted to remind you that you can read our articles, explore more podcasts, and learn about our online personal and management development programs and workshops by visiting our website, www.worldofwork.io. All right, on to the podcast. Hello, this is James. And this is Jane. And here we are again with another episode of a World of Work podcast. What are we speaking about today, Jane? Oh, well, we are talking to uh, the very brilliant women from Catalyst Collective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to be talking a little bit about their work and their research as well into the gender pay gap. Yeah, that's right. We're carrying on with our series on inclusion and diversity. And obviously, gender is, is normally a, a big part of a sort of diversity and inclusion conversation. And we're going to try and uh, focus on the gender pay gap as part of our conversation about this. Um, yeah, we recorded this a little while ago, actually. So uh, a big uh, shout out to uh, Catalyst Collective because they've been very patiently, uh, I would imagine, waiting for this to be released. Yeah, that's right. But we've been, um, we thought it was a really interesting conversation, but it also deserved its place in our inclusion series, inclusion, diversity, equality series. So uh, I think that's appropriate. And it feels yeah. right that we're talking about it now. So, yeah, yeah, it's uh, a good time. Yeah, and it was a really interesting conversation yeah, because it's probably right. one of the few, well, we've spoken to a couple of people about research and their yeah. research, but I, I like it when we do that. Yeah, yeah. And it was really great. I mean, we met um, Katie and Fee, who, who are the sort of the two main people behind Catalyst Collective. We actually, or I actually met them at a sort of HR presentation speaking event up in Edinburgh. Um, and I just connected with what they said. So it, it seemed sensible to pick up with them and see if we could have a chat about them. And we knew it was going to be uh, fitting into something that we were doing. And then here we are with Inclusion and Diversity, which is a great place for it. Yeah, and they're also quite interesting. Like, I kind of, I quite like talking to them as well, because they, whilst they are not like us in the sense that they are based about I got I don't even know how many hundred miles apart mm. um, but they're quite significantly apart they do work on things together but in a way that's quite collaborative and thoughtful and reflective about where they are and then they get together every so often and do sort of sessions which is kind yeah. of like what we do yeah absolutely so um, I also was quizzing about how to, how to make that off work? mic I was like so how do you do that and what do yeah. you do and help me here how does it work yeah how can I work with James it's really difficult to work with James is that what it was? No, it was more like, how do I manage myself? All uh, right, yeah, okay. Anyway. Um, cool, so before we get into that, look, time to check in. Anything anything going on in your space you want to check in on? Oh, I am in, deeply in love. Okay. Uh, from a professional, I've got one of my work crushes. Okay. But this time it is about, uh, so I am in another module of my ongoing MSc, which the poor listeners have to hear about. And I am doing a module that I am besotted with uh, called Understanding Organisational Change. And we had a guest lecture a few weeks ago from a reader in organisational psychology uh, from down south, a guy called Mark Hughes, and just blew my mind in terms of thinking about what it means to be an academic and what he sees as his role and his contribution. I just, uh, yeah. He's written, and he writes books about managing change from a critical perspective and it just lots and lots and lots of things got me thinking about power dynamics cool. in the workplace so yeah, yeah that's my like happiness place yeah, yeah. At the moment. well we I'm should reading. talk about that stuff at some point then. we are so yeah. talking about it <clears throat> let's do that can we also talk about prohibitive voice at some point yeah we can do on. that we can do that that's my latest favourite anyway cool. what about you how are you uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm still enjoying the autumn up here in Scotland. It's been uh, it's been actually really nice. It's been mild so far. I mean, everything's been great. Um, 
and that's been nice. And then I guess the other big thing is, I think I might have mentioned a while ago, my brother's getting married in China next year and we're starting to pin down dates and we've got a view on when it's gonna be. Um, and so I've been chatting to, to my mom about China figure out how you know we get over there how we do it what little bits of excitement we can tag on as we we traipse across china um doing all this stuff next year so that's exciting oh listeners i wish you could see james's face he is beaming with excitement about this it'll be really fun to do that so looking forward to you know seeing everybody out there but also seeing a bit of a a broader um chinese uh landscape and culture as well so that'll be fun that sounds brilliant yeah anyway back to the gender pay gap and all things researchy and catalyst collectively Shall we uh, let the listeners have a listen to our conversation? Yeah, let's hand over to our conversation and we'll check back with you in a little while. All right, everyone. So here we are in the main part of our podcast today. Obviously, we are speaking about female leadership. We're looking a little bit at a gender pay gap. We're looking at um, the proportion of women in leadership and we're looking at ways that we can address some of that. And we've got some great guests. We've got Katie and Fee here from the Catalyst Collective. Uh, why don't we start by handing over to you guys and, and seeing if you can say a little bit to the audience about yourselves and about your backgrounds and just generally have a bit of an introduction. Hi, James. Hi, Jane. Hi, listeners. It's really great to be here with you. I'm Katie. I'm Fee. And we're from Catalyst Collective. So we create and share resources that equip organisations to be more inclusive. So really delighted to come on today and talk about these topics with you. My background is in international companies and humanitarian agencies, and I've been doing that for Ooh, 20 or so years, worked in more than 30 countries and a bit of community development and youth work prior to getting into more organisational spaces. And my background's in HR and OD, so board level HR and OD jobs, non-exec jobs, both in Edinburgh in financial services and then in the NHS, so two very contrasting organisations. And like Katie, um, we started our own business um, 10 years ago. And a sense for us with Catalyst Collective of wanting to really unlock the, yeah, the, the years of working inside organisations and with individual leaders and making that more accessible. So we have um, an online aspect of our business which enables a lot of those resources to be to be free and accessible for leaders all over the world and not just the very well-resourced organisations that can pay consulting fees. Well, that's, like, that's such a great mix of backgrounds as well. There's a mm. variety in there. And I love what you guys are doing in your aspirations to have content that's free in, in terms of putting stuff out there and helping people who can mm-hmm. afford it. Um, I guess that kind of leads me on to my first question, which is around part of why, why, why are we doing all this stuff? So, so for you guys, why do you think diversion, um, diversity and inclusion is so important? Uh, you know, to such an extent that you're looking to, to send stuff out for free to help people with so talent doesn't differentiate on grounds of gender, ethnicity, age, or any other diverse of the diversity pillars, yet we've created a workplace uh, that is differentiated. And it, it just it doesn't make sense on any level. And it particularly doesn't make sense as we shift into the kind of the next industrial revolution where we're dealing with massive complexity and massive globalization. So in that increasingly complex world, businesses need to access all the creativity, all the perspective taking, all the problem solving that they can. And so to have created a world of work where huge chunks of talent are not available, it just doesn't make sense. And we are, we're really passionate about um, shifting that. And yeah, that sense of talent and potential being universal and having travelled in, and I know you you both have as well, in many different parts of the world and engage with lots of people from different communities. I'm, I'm really totally convinced around that. Um, 
yeah opportunity and access is not <laughs> so what can we do as as leaders as hr professionals as as individuals to to open up that access for others and make our cultures more inclusive so it's good for business but i think there's also something about it's good for the world as well so i'm really interested i was uh i really enjoyed reading uh, your report which uh came through on my email recently and you mentioned about it being good for businesses. And one of the things you talk about is performing better, which I totally get. And the other thing you mentioned is businesses being more resilient. Um, and I was just really interested in that because I think that's a really interesting concept. And I wondered what you can explain a little bit more about why businesses that are champion and, and better at diversity and inclusion are more resilient. There's, I think there's two aspects to that. There is, um, so let's talk about the gender aspect and let's talk about the general inclusion aspect. So, so the gender aspect around resilience is um, a really interesting study done in the 2008 financial services crash, which found that across uh, Europe and America, so it's a European and American study, um, organisations who had more than two women on their board bounced back. So, so they, they dropped less far in terms of financial performance and they bounced back more quickly than other organisations. And, and, and we, we think this is around effectively um, women bring an element of, of um, enhanced risk sensitivity to the decision-making process in boards. And, and so there, there is some um, additional talent and expertise that comes into boards when you bring women onto boards, and that has a financial impact. So there is something around, for example, what women bring to boards, but then there's also something around when organisations start to develop inclusive leadership capabilities, that also then adds another layer to their leadership capability. Katie, do you want to speak to that? Yeah, there's, there's lots of data about what happens when we hold ourselves back in some way. So uh, data that looks at what, which are the groups that hold themselves back most in the workplace and white men hold themselves back in the workplace according to that data. But if you are from an LGBTQ plus community, if you identify as that, if you, if you are a woman, if you're a person of colour, you are holding yourself back more. You're bending yourself more out of shape in order to fit in. And there's really, really robust data around that. And we're curious about the impact of that then in terms of your own engagement, the amount of energy that that takes to have to try to fit into a mould of, of work and a mould of the workplace and the impact of that then actually on people's mental health. So there's that resilience piece as individuals as well as that resilience piece for the wider organization thank you i think that's really interesting because one of the things that i'm i'm fascinated about at the moment is how uh how open to challenge leadership teams yeah. are from within mm, yes. and i think there's there's for me there's a suspicion and I, I i'm not close to the research at all on this but um this suspicion that organizations that champion and recognize the importance of diversity and inclusion what it can bring will also be more likely to be open to those kind of challenges so that that sort of concept of the coming out of the financial crash organizations that were already embracing inclusion and diversity were also more comfortable with challenge coming from within themselves and jane what we're finding is that um, in order to develop inclusive leadership with org in organizations uh, organizations need to develop a sense of curiosity mm. a sense of openness to perspective taking mm. a sense of capacity to deal with ambiguity and difference and and whilst those and those skills are fundamental to creating an inclusive environment but they're also fundamental to dealing with a um a, a, a complex and 
um, unstable business environment, which is increasingly what we're seeing. So I, I think uh, what, what Katie and I are finding in our work is the skill set that is required to deal with, uh, to create an inclusive working world, is also the future skill set that is required to deal with complexity. And, and it is not the skill set that has traditionally been nurtured and valued in organisations. Brilliant. Thank you. That's really interesting. Yeah, that, that's a really interesting overview, um, or I guess insight into some of the perhaps ancillary benefits around focusing on inclusion. I think that, that focusing on the resilience piece is really interesting. James, can I jump in there? So I think there's something about what, what are we talking about when we're talking about diversity and inclusion? And sometimes those two terms are kind of lumped together. Mm. And I think um, it, it's, it, we found it helpful to sort of tease those differences out. There's something for us, you know, diversity is about who's around the table, like who's in the mix, who's in the room. And I think organizations can spend time thinking about their optics, their mix of roles, the parity between genders and people from different ethnic backgrounds, people with disabilities or not, all those different aspects. And we can get into a little bit of numbers, a numbers game around that. There's something about, and that's important, right? Because representation is really important. And we know that the benefits of diversity to, to organizations is that it's more like you're more likely to reflect your customer base, you're more likely to be innovative, all those benefits that come from, from diversity. But if we just focus on that and we don't bring in the inclusion piece, we actually miss the benefits of what that diversity can bring. So we, we often think about this analogy of, of a party. So diversity is like, who's invited to the party? Am I even invited into the room? Yeah. But then inclusion is about, Am I invited to dance at the party? Like, do I have a voice in the room? Where's the power in the room? Am I included in, in, in that piece I mentioned earlier about uh, am I having to bend myself out of shape to fit in here? Or can I bring, really bring my best uh, to dance on the dance floor, if you like, or to bring my best into the organisation? Does the culture welcome me and accommodate me and make it, make it so that I can thrive? Yeah, and then there's this additional concept of, of, around belonging, which we see a number of, of clients and organizations now talking about, which adds another layer to this. It's almost like, am I dancing like nobody's watching? Um, and I don't often do that, if I'm honest, in real life. <laughs> um, but that sense of, am I really able to thrive here? Am I, am I so self-conscious that I'm getting myself out of shape? And am I able to bring my my best self to work? Of course, we don't bring all of ourselves to work. I think we leave some stuff in our private spaces too. But that those different buckets of terminology we find it helpful to to tease those out if we just focus on diversity without focusing on developing a culture of inclusion clients may well organizations may well attract a really good mix of people but we find that people then may not stay yeah. something about retaining people is when i when i feel i can show up at my best right and that's when you get the benefits of of that diversity so that's where we talk a lot about a culture around inclusion and what does inclusive leadership look like and if you know when you look at the gender pay report we're talking about gender pay but actually one of the underpinning themes that that we've looked at when we looked at all the metadata was what what does inclusive leadership bring and, and how does non-inclusive leadership contribute to the gender pay gap see that's that's really interesting because i know we we've talked a bit about in previous episodes about the psychological contract of big organizations signaling that they are diverse through their promotional mm -hmm. material and recruitment processes yeah. And or then people coming in and, and recognizing that the culture, whilst being diverse, mm -hmm. is not inclusive. Yes. And therefore they feel that they have been in some way let down. Yes, absolutely. It's a, I think it's big at the moment, yeah. 
and, and people are catching up with that. <laughs> I, I love the, the analogy you used there. I think that's really good. Um, mm. You know, getting the people in the room is the diversity, um, helping them feel at their best in the room and able to dance or invited to dance is the inclusion piece. If, when you're working with people, did you find there's some sort of order to that? Do you prioritize one in front of the other um, from a time sequence perspective or do you try and address both at the same time? As, that's a really interesting question. So I think that there's a spectrum um, that, that we, that clients can place themselves on from completely unaware that there's a problem to beginning to realise there's a problem to then beginning to do the kind of window dressing stuff that we've just talked about yeah. to then understanding it's more than window dressing and then shifting into a kind of fundamental hearts and minds place around it where they get very, very curious. And um, rather than there being an order, I think um, the work that we do is say, where on that spectrum are you? And how do you move through that spectrum? And the rate at which organisations will move through that spectrum um, varies. And it's also not linear. So mm. clients often think they're somewhere on the spectrum. And when they start doing the work, they actually realise we're actually a lot further behind than we thought we were, or we're actually further forward than we thought we were. One of, the, one of the personal experiences I've had working with organizations in stuff that's not too dissimilar to this is you'll do maybe a bit of an assessment at the start of a process um, and people will rate themselves at one level, then you'll work with yeah. them over a bit of a period of time, helping them get better at it, and yet they will rate themselves lower later on. Yes. Their and their knowledge. Do you see the same type of thing in your work? Yeah, we, so we become more aware, isn't it? We realize the things that we don't know. Yeah. Frequently, and what I think one of what, one of the things that we see consistently is as we do work to help women um, and uh, women call out what's happening in organisations. What we then often see is it's an increase in grievances and harassment claims, and that's not a bad thing. So some of the, I think sometimes some of the measures that people use to say we're okay, yeah, um, actually actually go up as you do the work. And I I think that's what's happened with the 2019 gender pay data, for example. We, uh, I was talking to someone about duty of care in sport, which is my background. And mm -hmm. we were talking about how you change clients' perspectives, uh, particularly the big operators, to, to champion uh, small-scale uh, issues and recognise that a rise in them is actually a really good sign because it's mm -hmm. actually about being pretty confident about reporting yes. and sharing. Yeah, and it's really hot. I mean, that's a terrifying thing to, to acknowledge, as a, as a, particularly if you're a legislator. Um, yes. you know, saying no it's a good thing you're going to see loads more stuff and that's great that means that actually this is working rather than big issues exploding 10 years down the road and I think it's yeah, totally. complicated for organizations if some of those changes lead to costs so if there are grievance related costs exit costs all those types of things then, then that's a bit of a challenge for organizations as well I've got uh, I guess a bit of a follow-up question though we, we talked about getting people on board and, and you kind of go through that stage where you're you know washing your perception in the public and things like that um when you're actually getting to the stage of changing how important is the buy-in of senior leadership and execs in in the work that you're doing do you, do you think it's possible to succeed without genuine buy-in from them yeah it's critical isn't it it's critical katie and i are just looking at each other at this point and wondering which of the uh, many stories we should share so I'm going to start off with, with a little example um, of an organisation who's trying to do work on gender inclusion and um, they, there is, they are, there's incredible men and women in the middle of the organisation doing absolutely amazing work but the work that they're doing is, is literally being um, nullified for want of a better word yeah. by, by, by lack of buy-in at the top of the organisation and I think when, when you don't have buy-in at the top of the organisation 
it, the, the negativity bias kicks in, which is you may see 20 incredible initiatives and coming from the ground up, um, but the one thing that a senior leader does, which is just, just so badly jars, yeah. um, ha almost has the effect of nullifying 20 good ones. And, and, and there's two things going on for me here. One is, um, it's really important to get senior leadership buy-in and let's talk about how we do that. But equally in some organisations we don't have that and in the organisations where you don't have it, let's face the reality that um, everybody has to shape, then take that role as a culture shaper and what's it like to be a culture shaper um, in, in an organisation where, where you don't have senior leader buy-in. So the preference for us absolutely is to work in organisations where you've got senior leader buy-in. And that's not, that's rarely the entry point, is it? So yeah. that's, you know, that sense of the spectrum, I would say that in most senior teams, people will be on different points of that spectrum, right? In terms of their own awareness of their own bias and how that plays out or their own willingness to believe the business case and want to work with it. So I think there's always a, there's always a spectrum in that start point and it's, it's rare to have a team who are completely fully aligned in their buy-in on any, probably on any issue. Um, but that point about you know, starting where, where they're at and also that just to riff off what you said I, I don't think it's just senior team yeah. buy-in either so that the, and that's the link I've, I've heard you talk on previous episodes in, in your podcast about you know what does complex change really need and we would see leadership buy-in is, is one really significant piece and if it isn't there you, you probably won't succeed but that you know modeling and walking the talk at that senior level absolutely but those other aspects of what does it look like for all of us to be culture shapers and, and take responsibility too? So it's not just an HR issue that needs solving or it's not women that need to solve this or it's not black people that need to solve this or it's not the leadership that need to solve this, but actually how can I be part of creating a more inclusive culture in, in the influence I have too? So there's I think we'd look at it quite systemically that there's sort of multiple touch points and potential areas for change when we're, when we're looking at how an organization can shift along that spectrum. And do you find uh, that that also is a different challenge in different geographies or different cultures or subcultures within either the UK or internationally? So I'll, I'll speak first of all to organizational sector. Um, in case you were having, actually having this conversation yesterday, which is, I think in some ways, the more hierarchical the industry is, so we were talking about particularly heavily regulated industries or in, in some of the more um, emergency services type industries, where there's a very strong kind of command and control hierarchy, there is an expectation that leadership needs to change first before people can change. And they're often the most now dominated industries yes. too, because yeah. it's that kind of hero model, I guess. Yeah. But I'm guessing <laughs> that they may respond better to compliance-related intervention versus other industries because they at least recognise that, that if it's... Mm. Or is that not the case? They do respond to compliance-led um, initiatives, but when we, when we go back to that spectrum of inclusion, I think compliance-led initiatives will often generate diversity, but they, they rarely generate inclusion and belonging. So, I, so, so for us, there's a really interesting correlation between the more hierarchy exists in an organisation, the more, the, the more sense um, that people have that I don't hold the power and therefore I can't be a change maker. So th there's a particular challenge in hierarchical organisations. And, and I think some of the stuff around geography is that we found is, is there's, um, we can't separate women's roles in organisations from women's roles in society. Yeah. So that um, particularly where women's roles in society are, are viewed differently to where women's views, roles in organisations are viewed, then, then the work is sometimes harder and slower.
Yeah, and I guess I guess that's that's the question I was really asking is yeah. where society view women differently, even quite in a small nuanced way, or where yeah. economically the situation is different. So the thing I was thinking about, we were talking about just before we spoke to you, was in the southeast you are struggling to buy a home unless both of you earn, and yes. there's a different context and there is a different economic push to changing behaviour from the individual organisation. Indeed. Uh, we're, we're literally in two weeks' time starting a programme in a particularly um, patriarchal and rural part of Scotland where um, the, the programme is with female entrepreneurs and, and what we're, we're dealing with is not just the organisational issues that women entrepreneurs face but the societal issues that are happening in that society which means that when you open the local paper what you will see is the male and business leaders and the um, and the, the male entrepreneurs, because that's what's valued in that society. That's, a, that's a, a really interesting area to be working on, and I think the ability to separate societal uh, reflection from organisational ones is, is complicated. Yeah. Um, and a lot of our work is with international NGOs, and so uh, I, I, I guess you know, similar for what you're seeing as well in your work, that there are multiple cultures represented in one organisation, yeah. or with global businesses, that would be the same as well. And where those organisations are you know, part of their work, part of their being in those in those countries and cultures is about alleviating poverty and and looking at justice issues locally. So all the gender issues and the diversity issues are really live in their work externally. And and I guess the way that we support around that is what are the principles and um, what are the cultural dynamics that you want to be consistent? I guess it's that sort of global and local piece. Mm-hmm. And you know, what, what do we want our culture to be like as an organisation? How are we going to model that, even in really challenging gender, gender-based situations, for example? And what does that then look like locally is then you know, contextually determined and kind of culturally determined. Does, does that mean that what good looks like is different for the different organisations you work in to some extent based on where they are? or? What's your view? I think it's sometimes not what good looks like, but um, the, the, the levers that you can pull to create change and the speed at which you can expect to change varies. Well, let's, um, let's jump into maybe a few more specific aspects around this or a few more practical aspects around it. Um, we talked a little bit about things like the importance of leadership, but also the fact that change can come from different places. We talked about a variety of um, current states in industry as well as bits around geography is, is there anything you can reflect on to do with what's currently blocking some progress in organizations in relation to both the gender pay gap and uh in relation to gender equality in leadership roles or maybe more mm-hmm. diversity equality in leadership so i think what we're dealing with here is we're dealing with thousands thousands of years of societal conditioning about what we expect from men and women around gender and, and, and what that generates is is a whole pile of subconscious bias in the workplace that shapes women's experiences of work it shapes men's experiences of work and it shapes how women and men experience, are experienced. And that is not a single experience. So white women's experience of work will be different, for example, from um, some aspects of a woman of colour's experience of work. Um, people who are parents' experience of work then will be different from a woman's experience who is a non-parent. So I, I don't want us to imagine that it's a binary experience because it's absolutely not. But, but effectively what we're dealing with is a whole set of biases which shape how we are experienced um, as a leader in the workplace or an employee in the workplace uh, and how um, we experience the workplace and some of the really common ones that we come across is networking um, and there, there are gender-based differences in networking 
there are gender-based differences in how our leadership is experienced. And we're going to come back and give you a little example of that in a moment. Mm -hmm. Literally, the feedback that women receive varies by um, both gender and by both ethnicity of gender and how our performance, how women's performance is measured also varies. So a whole set of biases that play out, which effectively create what we call a set of headwinds. So the author, author Debbie Irvin has this lovely phrase about headwinds and effectively women in the workplace are running into a set of headwinds around careers. Um, and if you're a woman of colour, you're running into an even stronger set of headwinds around careers. Uh, and because of bias, um, men are often running into a tail, they're running with a tailwind that they don't appreciate they're running with. And is that sort of micro inequities and things like that, would you say? It yeah. is. Yes, it is. Yeah. So another way, I guess another, yeah, another analogy to think about microaggressions or micro inequities. So examples would be the kind of headwinds that, are, that some of your listeners might, might connect with. So when you're in a meeting, do you get spoken over? When you're in a meeting, do you put forward an idea that somebody else then puts forward later and they get credited for it? Is it, yeah, all, all the things that we know and, and you know, who does the office housework, all that good stuff. There's, there's ways that bias plays out day to day. And there's a sense for us of once you are aware of that uh, as, as any leader in, in, in any organization, once you're aware, you, you sort of start to see it everywhere. It's like putting glasses on. Yeah. But then you can also start being active around that. And we talked a bit about being a culture shaper. So when we start seeing those things, we can start, calling them out or we can start acting differently ourselves when when someone puts forward an idea in a meeting and someone else is taking it you can say well actually that was that was fee's idea <laughs> well done fee right. we can we can give the credit where it's due and i think there's something about how leaders can can counteract some of these yeah. barriers or counteract some of the headwinds sometimes we can we can be quite overwhelmed i think with this whole big topic of diversity and inclusion it can feel so huge and complex and on one level it is it's systemic and it and it is complex but also I think there are daily things that we can each do. And your question, you know, is it, is it really different in different cultures? I think there's something about our kind of basic humanity, which is really consistent wherever you go in the world and wherever you go in any organisation. So how do we connect with that compassion for others and their lived experiences that might be different from ours? How do we accept that just because we don't experience it doesn't mean it doesn't exist? And, and then how can we get more educated around others lived experiences so that we can we can call it out we can support we can elevate we can stop doing stuff that's harmful um, all of that all of that good stuff and that's a way of helping I guess reduce the, the headwind for, for others where we can and I love I love this concept of headwind and tailwind I think it's yeah. really beautiful so useful isn't it what do you guys how do you guys if at all uh, work with leaders who might experience fallout of people losing the tailwind so inevitably with privilege um, yeah. and awareness of privilege at some sense people either need to give it up willingly or unwillingly um, do you see fallout from that or actually you know do you do you build that into your programs when you're working with your organizations we, we absolutely build it into programs and I think one of the um, things that we're working with at, at the moment is we, we occasionally see backlash and we are really conscious at the moment and mindful of, of we, we can, organisations can create an approach to inclusion where it is not a zero sum game. Yeah. So I think where you see backlash is where um, people sense that they are losing something that they have had. Mm. And that sense of it, it's a zero sum game. So, so in order for women to succeed in the workplace, I as a man need to lose 
or in, or in order for people of colour to grow in a workplace, I as a white woman need to lose. And I think what we are um, really interested in is, is how do we actually focus this work on creating a workplace that is better for everybody or in which everybody can thrive and, and reframing inclusion in those terms. And part of what's driven us to this is a really interesting trend that we're seeing at the moment, which is where men want a more balanced life. So for example, when they want an equal role in parenting, yeah. they're now experiencing the same um, bias that women have experienced. So we, we've got male coaching clients who have gone part-time and have been told that they've been taken off the talent list because they've, you know, they've gone part-time and therefore... Those are exact conversations that I've had. Mm. Yes. So, gone? No, I just, it, it's the conversation James and I had just before we were talking was about this concept. So I, 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 I have concerns that uh, as, as hugely as important as diversity and inclusion is, it is one marker of an issue where organisations reward people who conform to their expectations. Totally. And, totally. and it's a massive part of it, but it also, it doesn't get solved. It doesn't solve that underlying problem. If you get the work right, it, it illuminates it and it helps people understand it. But there is this wider issue of there are always going to be people who want to behave differently from the, the norm of that organization. And, yeah. and that part of inclusion, I think, probably gets less funding and less interest. And it, it, I think this it, you sounds like you're having a very similar conversation to the one that we were having ahead of having this, you know, the, the podcast. Um, and what, 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 what Kate and I were talking about is, is um, really the, the work that we're doing is actually rooted in uh, a belief that the, that the whole way that we conceive of work and the construction that we have created around what work is and what work needs to be is, is fundamentally exclusive. It's deeply problematic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and there's really um, some stuff in there about emotional labour and, and that's, that's where our conversation on that topic, um, I guess, started. That was our jumping off point. And it sounds like we moved in similar directions. I think that's a fascinating subject. Um, I think for now, though, it would be good to, to reflect back on some of the things that we've talked about. So we talked about um, biases, we talked about headwinds and tailwinds, we talked about things like networking and leadership and um, uh, differences in the way that people um, deal with and are, are receiving uh, feedback. Um, and I was wondering from your side, when you're looking at addressing some of these things that are blockers to equality in leadership and um, equality in, in pay, um, what are some of the things that you can do to address these? You know, how do you address some of the blockers that you see? What are your approaches? So I guess it depends, it may depend a bit on your role inside the organization. We've talked a bit about all of us being a culture shaper. So if there are things where if you see how those headwinds are playing out and acting on others, how do we call that out or how do we just shift that in some way? So we've talked a bit about that. How do we give different people a voice? How do we give different people airtime? How do we amplify others' great ideas and contributions? How do we give credit? where credit's due, who do we talk about when they're not in the room? It's really fascinating. Who do we, do we, t do we take someone else's idea or do we give credit to that other person and name them? And, and if we are in a leadership position, who are we bringing into those other spaces of power? Who are we taking to lunch? Who are we bringing into a, a new project? Who are we giving that visibility and that, and that additional exposure and space to? And how are we supporting those individuals to, to be able to step up into those spaces? So I think there's some, there's sort of some small individual choices that, that leaders can make. I know that you've got HR practitioners amongst your, your listeners and, and for HR practitioners, there are 
um, some key people processes that have a disproportionate impact on inclusion. And those processes around recruitment, they are processes around talent assessment, they are processes around performance assessment. And for HR practitioners, um, there's baked in bias in those processes. And it can be really helpful to get a group of people to sit down and literally walk through the processes and say, where is the bait and bias in this process and start stripping it out. Um, well, you just preempted what I was going to ask you, so I'm going to ask you something else before. <laughs> uh, thank you for that. So we do have, we have kind of a mix of people listening to the podcast. And I know one of the challenges that we talk to about people who are kind of just in beginning their leadership journey or thinking about how they can move forward is... Um, and I have this conversation constantly and we had it on a, in a really big scale in, in the sports sector with about 50 women in the room where we all went, mm -hmm. but when we're put on the spot with silly questions, we never know what to say, right? And the sort of questions I'm talking about is the ones, isn't it just because men don't take career breaks to have kids? Isn't it just because um, you have to be really hard nosed and it's about performance? Isn't it just, you know, that uh, women aren't tough enough to negotiate or aren't experienced enough to negotiate? And we, we hear these things. And then we go, we want to make an argument going back to it. And we just, we freeze a little bit because we're, it becomes so obvious to us. Is there any advice on where people uh, who want to get better at making that argument can go for information or for facts or for things that they can quite quickly quote at people say, no, that's not true. This is, this is what's true. Yeah, I think the piece about let, let's, let's educate ourselves on how bias plays out. And, and we've got a guide that we're happy to share with people to help just as an, an initial Oh, okay. Let's put the glasses on and let's see. Let's see where that is. Is it helpful if we speak to 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 some of those objections to, <laughs> to help your listeners? Tell us exactly how to answer those right now. That would be amazing. <laughs> so, create an army of people. Uh, let's do it. <laughs> so, can, can we start off by kind of meta strategy for dealing with those questions, and then perhaps deal with some of the individual questions? So, I think the meta strategy that we encourage people to think about is. Um, what does that objection tell us about the blueprint of work that the person who is speaking it holds? Um, and if you unpick that blueprint of work, is it a sensible blueprint of work? So if, for example, we take the, isn't it women take more, just take more career breaks? The, the kind of, um, the, um, what underlies that is the belief that if I take, um, let's say, two years out of a 35-year career, I don't deserve to be a senior leader. That's the belief that underpins it. And when you, when you turn it back to the person and express it as that belief, the lunacy of it, I think, becomes much clearer. So, yeah, because if you followed their logic, you would just see that women, if you really believed that, which I don't, but if you did, you'd just see women being two years later, right? And we'd have huge numbers still on leadership teams. They mm -hmm. just might be a little bit older. If you believe that. Totally. They're, totally. They're, not that I do. But it, it, so, I, so I like that idea that you get them to play out their own logic of why yes. that's really clever yeah and does that work do you find that works in conversations with people uh, it irritates people to begin with <laughs> um, okay, it, that's irritates the, it, 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 it does irritate people to begin with is the bottom line i'm not going to pretend it doesn't but it then it gets them into a process of of, of standing back from the the, the the how they conceive work and, and actually beginning to start see seeing some of the um, invisible barriers which are actually getting in the way of women and so that conversation then is, is quite provocative, isn't it? And potentially quite confronting. And we can get into some defensiveness or to some, that's where you get the kind of mansplain or whitesplain stuff kicking off. But actually it, what we find is that by, by provoking perhaps in a, 
kind way, a gracious way, those conversations, it gets people thinking about what's actually going on here. Like, let's, let's dig under this a little bit more. We've all got this kind of received wisdom or deeply conditioned beliefs around how work should be. And, and it, it, of course, plays out into wider society, the caring roles and what roles men and women should, in inverted commas, be doing and what it looks like to be um, a mother, to be a parent, all of those senses of, of expectation that we have on ourselves and on each other those are deeply embedded in us right and so the more that we can I guess bring them out and, and bring it up and interrogate it a bit unpick it a bit and then you can start having a really creative conversation about well what else could we do like how else could this be and of course there those are big societal questions but inside it a small or medium-sized or big organization, those conversations can be very rich. What would it look like here if we together co-create something a bit different? What could we do in our own sphere of influence, which might be limited, but what can we still do to create something a bit different that would reflect more of our belief that talent is universal <laughs> and we want really great people at all levels? Oh, that's great. I mean, I, I love the idea of, of having some of those broader conversations where you get people to really reflect on, I guess, the constructed worlds that we live in and, and how we can maybe mm. challenge those or reimagine them and, and yeah. take that reimagined world back to our own world. I think there's some powerful stuff in there that can be, um, yeah. can be pretty useful. Um, I'm conscious that we are, as ever, getting <laughs> the conversation, right? I mean, it feels like there are several other podcasts in here, particularly uh, almost at a societal level, that would be really fascinating. But I think for the interest of time, I'm going to start to wrap things up. Um, I guess one sort of last thing for me is, is, is there anything that you wish we'd asked you or any final thoughts that you'd like to share? Yeah, thank you. I, I am going to chip in with something. So I think if, you, if you're a leader inside an organisation, I'd love you to be challenging yourself. Who are you spending time with? Whose stories are you listening to? And who are you sponsoring, whether that's formally or informally? So a bit like what we talked about earlier, who are you equipping and enabling to to access different spaces and we tend all of us as humans to, to stick with the people who are like us and so probably you're you're mentoring and you're sponsoring people who, who look a little bit like you so my 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 gracious challenge my confrontation my provocation to you is can you start to sponsor somebody who's really different from you and you can look around and see who are the more marginalized groups in your organization or who has less representation and think about okay who can I find who I can support and elevate and if we all did that actually that would make quite a big difference in the world and it's not about being a savior it's not about being a rescuer actually it's about listening with humility to other stories and others lived experiences that might be really really different from you and and that also starts then to melt down and unpick some of those deeper conditioned beliefs about how the world should be I think when we when we hear from others who are really different and have a really different experience so that that would be my my gentle challenge to to your listeners and to each of us to take to take that in and I'd add my gentle challenge as well which is just it's, it's a 10 minute challenge for, for today and, and literally just encouraging me just to do it today which is to do, do an audit of your social media so whatever your social media platform of choices LinkedIn Instagram Facebook and just take a look at how diverse are the feeds that you are seeing. And um, when you've done that, you might want to take action to, to enrich the feeds that you're seeing. Because the, what we see in organisations around in inclusion is a reflection of the greater societal issue around inclusion. And, and we live in a smog 
of, of bias around that. And one of the ways that we can start break, breaking through, as Katie said, is get a richer variety of what we're seeing in social media. Cool. Those are some pretty fun challenges, aren't they, for people? To yeah. Do. I'm totally doing that one. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, totally yeah. doing that one. Um, Fantastic. Good stuff. Um, and just before we finish up, the last question. How can people who are listening find out more about you? Yeah, thank you. We'd love to connect with any of your listeners. You can find us at catalystcollective.com and we're also on all the socials uh, at Catalyst Collective Community. And we'd absolutely love to connect with people there and you can access all our free resources through through those spaces. Cool. Yeah, just one for me. I've uh, I've been, we downloaded your uh, gender pay gap report, the updated version for 2019 and mm. I would thoroughly endorse it as a really interesting provocation yeah i like that word um to conversation that i would encourage leaders to read and then maybe share with their teams because i think if nothing else it'll start a conversation yeah great great thank, thank you. you lovely all right well thank you guys very much for your time it's been a pleasure speaking to you, and i'm sure we will catch up again great to be with you thanks Beth. thank you Okay, so welcome back. That was our conversation with uh, Katie and Fee from the Catalyst Collective. I thought it was really interesting. I thought it's a, it's a great topic. And they're obviously really knowledgeable and engaged in it and, and looking to make a difference. Um, so it was, it was excellent to get the chance to speak to them. Have you got any takeaways or reflections you'd like to make on the back of it? I guess my own reflection is that I am always... I always find it harder to interrogate the information when it's a group that I belong to uh, by nature. So as a woman... I'm always somewhat more suspicious about my own uh, grouping. Um, and therefore, it was really helpful and really interesting to hear about their research and how the research was structured and what the information they took from it and what, um, what it told us. Um, because I think a lot of the time, research gets politicized in the press and you very rarely can get down to the bottom of the detail of the research. You just get the top level stuff in the press and so you don't get that opportunity to really understand what uh, what assumptions have been made. And I thought that was a really useful framing. Yeah, good. What about you? What did you take from it? Um, <clears throat> like you, I thought that bit was interesting. I think, um, I mean, I think the whole, whole subject and the whole area is really interesting. I guess what, what stands out for me is the fact that there's so much, you know, real evidence in this, in this domain about disparity and pay gap and and that evidence itself is is you know just brings to light the the real uh, disparity that's there and i think in itself that's really powerful um i and i think you know being able to evidence a, a clear differentiation in the way that we we remunerate people for doing the same roles is it's kind of powerful and it's kind of a little bit depressing but it gives us an evidential base from which to to make progress and to progress um, obviously, those are the same things, making progress and progressing, but you know what I mean. Um, so, so I think the, the importance of evidence is important. Um, something else that's in my mind in relation to all of this is obviously this is really focused on gender and one of the strands. But I, I understand that you know, there are uh, plans to, to broaden this out and to look at uh, pay gap disparity across a range of diversity areas, maybe looking at um, ethnicity and things like that as well. And I, I, I'd be really interested to see where we end up with this. Um, so I guess one of my key takeaways is really the importance of measurement of the first stage of this type of change process to really pin down and demonstrate where you are um, to form a basis from which to go on and change. Yeah, I think oh, it's really interesting because I, I, like everything, I always want to look under the skirt or look under the trouser or whatever the appropriate terminology would be of where things come from and why they happen. Mm -hmm. And there's a great, uh, I ended up reading a great Twitter thread maybe a year ago when some of the research came out the first time 
And it was about how uh, there weren't enough women in roles. So someone promoted someone into a role and added someone to that team at that level, but didn't have the budget to match the people who'd been there 10 years because mm-hmm. they'd moved in. But mm-hmm. of course then, by doing that, had then made it look like, or made, well, it had, that person with 10 years less experience and they hadn't got that opportunity because yeah, yeah, they'd been yeah. previously quite a sexist agenda, I think. So there is this whole problem where change takes time. Yeah. Change is iterative. Uh, change can sometimes improve things but still be imbalanced and i guess there's a level of how do we not make it divisive yeah in the process of doing that when Mm -hmm. people are trying to move it forward and understand the limitations of budgets while also being seriously angry about it yeah yeah there's that sort of reconciliation piece that needs to take place as well i mean it's got to change but you need to do it in as um, productive and collaborative yeah and i think the, the answer to that is quite often like mapping out okay well we know where we are and we know we're failing but we're gonna move take these steps in this time to get there but obviously it's so it affects so people so individually Mm -hmm. it is so much more of all the benefits and the challenges and uh the structures of employment contracts ultimately salary is an entirely personal thing yeah uh because it affects you differently depending on what your outgoings and responsibilities are and therefore that makes it incredibly difficult to understand and predict and manage yeah. Well, fascinating stuff. Um, I think it's probably just time to uh, say a little bit more about how you can get in touch with them. Oh, that would be good, yeah. Um, I think the best thing that you can do to, to find out more about them and what they do is, is you can look at www.catalyst-collective.org. So that's catalyst-collective.org. And on there, they've got lots of great stuff. So they've got a gender pay gap report um, that, that you can get. Yeah, but if you, if you, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, it's I, good. I, it's I a comprehensive, it. it's good. Yeah, it's comprehensive good. document. Um, and you can um, click on, on the you know, request to get that and they'll send that along. And they also do a series of webinars that might be of interest about things like beating overwhelm, uh, networking, increasing visibility, um, and, and things like that that would be useful. Um, and then just to say that you, you'll be able to find them on you know, the usual places, sort of they're on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and stuff like that. Um, and they are at Catalyst Collective. I think if you search for that, you should be able to find them on most of those platforms. Um, and I guess that's kind of it. Is that is that it? I think that's it. All right, let's call it it, um, and say we'll check out and catch you uh, in a week or so's time. Bye, guys. Hi, thanks for listening to this episode of the World of Work podcast. To learn more about what we do, please check out our website www.worldofwork.io, where you can read some great articles, learn more about the seminars and courses that we deliver, or even support us if you wish through our Patreon page. That's www.worldofwork.io. Thank you.